Hi, everyone. I am first overwhelmed and overjoyed to be here. This is my first time at South by Southwest. This is also my first time in Texas. Um, so it's hot. I'm from Maryland where I left. It was 49 degrees. So it was a huge shift for me, but um, I'm excited to be here. I, I'm, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you to my coworker and colleague, Juliet. Um, I had amazing brisket cooked by her son yesterday, so I was just like, yes. Um, so thank you so much. Um, my name is Javon. Um, for me, if you have questions, because this talk is probably not going to reach the full hour, um, I would say probably just hold your questions until the end. But I definitely want to hear your questions because Q&A, that's my thing. I don't like talking. Um, <laughs> so Q&A is my favorite part. So if you have questions, please uh, let me know. And of course, feel free to engage with me as we go along with the presentation with my various handles and stuff like that. Okay, um, but are we all good? We're all good? Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, so black joy within gaming culture. Uh, there we go. Okay, so first, uh, before I begin, I want to dedicate this talk to one of my best friends, colleagues, my brother, Dr. Oscar Lemus. He passed away in September 2021. Uh, Oscar and I went to graduate school at Indiana University together, so uh, he was fundamental to everything, including this presentation and much of my work. Uh, I miss him a lot, so I give this talk uh, in honor of his legacy. Okay. So I'm black, if you couldn't tell. Uh, I'm, I'm black, I'm a black man, I'm a black gamer who loves playing video games. And so each one of these identities holds their own particular meaning. Uh, together, they're a complex web of negotiations. Uh, my skin tone, my male appearance signify additional meanings in America. Uh, this means that as a black man, I must be mindful of the neighborhoods that I walk around in. I must be mindful uh, that someone could be watching me closely at a retail outlet, right? I must be mindful that regardless of my academic credentials, uh, which are supposed to be some hallmarks of human achievement, a police officer may view me as less than human. And so as a black identified male gamer, my identities further extend into a web of negotiations that I have to make in gaming culture where most may accept me, but some people will not. Uh, that I should call myself a gamer is also contentious because of its association to online toxicity, acts of swatting, online harassment, and, and much more. So similarly, the conversations academics and news outlets uh, have about the intersections of blackness and gaming has focused primarily on acts of vitriol, racism, and discrimination. And while these conversations are certainly warranted, uh, they're also very incomplete, at least in my opinion. Uh, such approaches fail to consider the ways in which black identified people express and experience black joy as a way of playing against as a politics of resistance that opposes the hegemonic white supremacist forces that inform the industry and American society in unique ways. So, so on the docket, because um, I have dockets, because I teach, so I have dockets. So on the docket, I will define black joy as a mode of expression 
explore how black joy surfaces uh, in fan and creation practices of black gamers and reflect on the critical and personal potential for thinking about community building as world building. So, level one is it's about video games. Okay, this preview. So I have levels. Okay, just picking up with the theme. Uh, so, what is Black Joy? So first, I employ the definition of black from Beverly Daniel Tatum, who refers to people of acknowledged African descent as black. Uh, black includes those who would not identify as African-American in particular, but are still subjected to racism and to the codification of blackness, such as Afro-Caribbeans. And although the arguments, discourses, and strategies people use to describe and enact anti-racist political reform have changed over time, the focus for anti-racist political reform remains the same, which is a fundamental dismantling of structures that attribute the violence of white supremacist institutions to the mistakes and misfortunes of black folks within America. American institutions and consciousness uh, as structural racism in America, anyone marked as black or, Afri or of African descent are likely to be subjected to emotional, physiological, and psychological violence, and yet must find ways to combat or tolerate such violence to live their lives. For example, on the left, this is a protest happening outside the Minneapolis state capitol. Philando Castile was killed in his car on July 6, 2016, with his girlfriend in the passenger seat and his daughter in the back seat. The slaying of Philando Castile was captured on Officer Geronimo Yanez's dash cam. Officer Geronimo Yanez was acquitted of all charges in June of 2017. And on the right is an image of Breonna Taylor. On March 13, 2020, 26-year-old emergency medical technician Breonna Taylor was shot and killed in her home of Louisville, Kentucky by the Louisville Metro Police Department. In September of 2020, Officer Brett Hankinson was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment. The officer was charged with having a disregard for human life and putting others in danger by shooting the wall of Brianna's apartment. Let me repeat, okay? The officer was charged with shooting the wall of Brianna's apartment, not her. You understand this difference? So the, dry, the drywall of the apartment was valued more than her life. So these acts of violence are not even scratching the surface of the many forms of oppressive actions of force on blacks in America. Are you with me so far? Okay, cool being sad a lot, because I got a lot to say. All right. All right. So at the same time, dealing with death and, and despair, black folks have formulated a form of resistance against white hegemony and racism by uplifting, cultivating, and bringing to the fore positive expressive actions, better known as black joy. Uh, black joy is a form of positively expressive behaviors and actions not only existing because it is in contention with some form of oppression, but simply a state of being. In this context, joy is framed as a strategy, a toolkit, and a mindset uh, which to survive in and thrive. There we go. So the term has been widely used on social media, in academic sources, and in popular online periodicals. The hashtag black joy has been quite prevalent in social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, showcasing black folks, displaying certain actions that are deemed entertaining, worthy of praise, and adulation. 
And so this is just a, a scrolling feed of some of the images that you can see, some of the themes that come out. So in a Huffington Post article, Reverend Broderick Greer expands an understanding of black joy by noting that black joy dances in the face of armed officers, sings in the presence of death, and shouts down systems of terror. Black joy is the spirit of liberation that inhabits black bodies in church services, defying order of rows of pews for spontaneous joy. Greer also importantly links black joy to its oppositional relationship to white supremacy, confirming that while the history of white supremacy is long and triumphant, white supremacy is not the last word. Joy is. As Reverend Greer also connects black joy to the black church and views both as tools for thriving within an oppressive system, relatedly the tradition of black lyricism, as Jessica Liu and Catherine Knight Still have pointed out, it is a method in which black folks use speaking and acting in ways that the dominant culture would not understand to express joy. Uh, for example, slaves would use lyrics, right, as secret code, coded language for a revolt. Hadia uh, Rodrique, in this piece, The Case for Black Joy, she exclaimed, simply put, black joy is the unabashed enjoyment of black culture without apology, hesitancy, or shame. Furthermore, Rodrigue states, black joy is also rare because the mainstream media would rather focus on black pain. In the age of near instant information sharing, black pain is always within the news. Although Rodrigue argues that black joy is rare, it is more likely that we are not fully exploring the myriad of spaces, sites, and communities within pockets of marginal and mainstream culture. Javon Johnson, I love his first name, by the way, just, just saying. Javon Johnson expounds upon the possibility of finding black joy in unlikely spaces in his article, Black Joy in the Time of Ferguson. Johnson frames black joy as the epistemology or theory slash method that is not only about enduring certain struggles. As Johnson explains, black joy allows us space to stretch our imaginations beyond what we previously thought possible and allows us to theorize a world in which white supremacy does not dictate our everyday lives. So Johnson discusses uh, venues in which black folks commune to celebrate, such as house parties, backyards, uh, cookouts. Other venues include the skating rink, uh, the, the church, and the burgeoning spaces, such as the annual BlurCon held in Crystal City, Virginia. And BlurCon has a special thing in my heart. I, I give talks there all the time. So if you want to know more about that, let me know. Uh, and so this video is actually one that I recorded in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where the Naptown Real Rollers came through. And they had a whole thing. It was amazing. I just stood there just recording. I was just like, yeah, yeah I got this. <laughs> okay. So... Lewin still argue black digital media users uh, utilize online platforms to share or reinvent narratives about black people, even if such digital practices are understood by the dominant group or not. Hashtag black joy can be explored on various social media platforms. Uh, and again, one can see themes related to sexual freedom, pride, education, art, and so forth, with other branching hashtags to convey a similar sentiment, such as hashtag free black child or hashtag carefree black kids. Uh, this highlights black joy via images, audio, text that run counter 
to dominant narratives espoused about black people. So for example, a counter narrative is when black actors portray non-black characters on film. In 2014, Annie was released in theaters, which was a remake of the classic film Annie of 1982, starring Eileen Quinn. The controversy, which was surprising, was, well, not surprising, was the fact that Annie was black in the 2014 version. Quavin uh, Jeanet Wallace as Annie, from the moment the Annie trailer was released, folks took to social media to express their confusion and disdain. Target was embroiled in controversy because they used a picture of a non-black girl to promote the sale of a red dress as a direct reference to Annie's red dress uh, in the 1982 film. And in July of 2019, actor and singer Holly Bailey was announced to play the role of Ariel in the live adaptation, The Little Mermaid, uh, which is uh, with many in support of her role. And so here, Twitter user uh, Dr. Jason Johnson, who actually surprisingly showed up to my talk before. Crazy, right? I, was ran I literally used this tweet randomly, and that person was in one of my talks before. Insane. Anywho, uh, he shared this article on his Twitter account called Casting uh, Howley Bailey as Ariel is Great. The real question is, who will be her prince? In uh, reply to that tweet, it says, hashtag Little Mermaid live action will be full of black girl magic if they actually added some hashtag black boy joy for once. This tweet addresses the lack of black representation in the original Little Mermaid from 89 and celebrating the fact that Howley Bailey is Ariel. So Annie as a black girl is a counter narrative in which Annie is supposed to be a white girl. Thus, to maintain social orders, white supremacy acts as a gatekeeper to control the imagery of who Annie is supposed to be and what black bodies should represent. Holly Bailey as Ariel should not be embroiled in controversy simply because the actress is black, especially since Ariel is a fictionalized character. But here lies the beauty of thinking through a lens of black joy. Both Annie and The Little Mermaid are films already approved and budgeted for, regardless of any presumed controversy, which I assume the studio heads were fully aware of potential backlash. These films are intended to at least have a different but familiar take on the original source material. All forms of media, whether social media, text, or film, have the capacity to include black imaginaries and black thought if one chooses to do so. Video games are such a space for blacks to express these moments. The games industry is an environment in which blacks have been and continue to be integral in the shaping of gaming culture. Black joy as a tool of resistance is expressed via the practice of one's devotion to their religious affiliation. The resistant act being black folks focusing on and communing with each other, which allows for moments of peace and liberation away from white supremacy. Black joy takes root in communal spaces, such as churches, uh, when the organizational structure uplifts and nurtures black thought and creative expression. Y'all still good? Y'all with me? Okay, y'all just intently looking. Okay, that's fine. Take notes. All right, level two, the communities we foster. Uh, fan conventions that center the perspective of POC, people of color, 
are one way the practice of cultivating joy as a tool of resistance appears in gaming spaces and communities. I'll offer an overview of what exists and explain how these sites work to form and imagine new worlds. Here is a picture with me in the middle <laughs> amongst those who attended my talk, The State of Blackness in Esports, at the Music and Gaming Festival, better known as MAGFest. And I'm an apartment head there, so if you also want to know more about MAGFest, please also let me know. So modern video game technologies enable users to communicate via voice chat, instant messaging, and live streaming. Gamers of color experience hostility, racism, and sexism offline and online via these technologies. Black gamers met with anti-blackness rhetoric from offline to online spaces. Two things are still clear. Black people will continue to game regardless of someone else's ignorance and be phenomenal at it. This is evident in the myriad of ways black gamers are reclaiming space and reclaiming their time, to paraphrase Congresswoman Maxine Waters. So, this is the Game Devs of Color Expo, GDLC Expo, uh, which is a space dedicated to people of color to thrive in the gaming industry. It is a venue for people of color to show off their games, network, and celebrate the myriad of shades and hues involved in the gaming industry. However, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the expo went online but showed off 61 indie games, had 48 guest speakers and panelists, and awarded six developers grants up to $90,000 in 2021. Uh, GDLC is radical uh, in its approach because it is solely focused on highlighting the works of people of color, uh, from a one-person studio to a large team, and welcomes volunteers to support the programming of the expo. Uh, I was hired as a GDLC Expo chat moderator for a day in September 2021. And through the Expo's registration form, they passed along my name to publishers that I selected in the form. And on the second day, someone from a major gaming publisher reached out to me and <laughs> engaged me for like an hour-long conversation uh, about my interests in video games and my career ambitions. Efforts such as these challenge game industry barriers to promote new practices, but also resist normative practices that hindered the proliferation of blacks within the industry. Another example of a gaming organization participating in active world building and resistance is Brassline Entertainment. Founded in the fall of 2019, Brassline Entertainment is a game development studio run by three game industry veterans. Uh, in the middle, sitting in the nice chair, which I, which I owned. <laughs> Brian Dabby Smith uh, is the chief executive officer and executive producer who worked on video games such as Def Jam, Fight for New York, and Sleeping Dogs. Uh, Rashid Riddick is the chief uh, creative officer and art director who worked on games such as The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim and Fallout 3. And Manvera Eyre is the chief visionary officer and creative director who worked on Mass Effect Andromeda and Wolfenstein. And as mentioned, uh, on their site, Brassline Entertainment is focused on creating original fictional universes that center black, brown, and other traditionally marginalized characters, cultures, and stories. Brassline is currently working on their first project entitled Corner Wolves, uh, which is described as a fictional universe set in Harlem during the mid-90s, where Jacinta, a young Afro-Latina, embarks on a mission to find her father's killer. Corner Wolves tells the story of young people growing up in the hood 
and how their lives are shaped and defined by the war on drugs as they are caught between dope dealers, hustlers, and overzealous police. Corner Wolves is coming to multiple formats, including video game and a podcast. The three founders of Brassline Entertainment left their previous places of employment to focus on narratives featuring people of color. They chose to go against an ideology that games featuring people of color as the protagonist do not sell well. To take a chance to produce games representing PLC experiences while establishing a new studio is a way of utilizing knowledge from well-known gaming institutions to be in service of one's community. Black folks have been and continue to be integral within the production of video games, even though there is much room for improvement in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, despite blacks working in an industry that may not reflect their ideologies, backgrounds, or perspectives, blacks still find a sense of fulfillment and joy in gaming. This is evident in the current player base. So founded in 2015 by J.N. Lopez, Black Girl Gamers is a platform centering on cultivating positive gaming experience for women of color. In a Glamour magazine interview, Lopez discusses how the BGG has been a resource for people coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. BGG hosted a wellness week via Twitch, which they stream relaxing and chilled games. Uh, BGG is an inclusive space. One must simply respect the rules of the group and be aware that black women are not a monolith. BGG is building a community not to isolate people of color gamers into a safer space, but rather create online and offline environments that put the needs of black folk at the core of its communal practice. I Need Diverse Games is a nonprofit organization founded by Tanya DePass, whose mission is to shine a spotlight on works and research by marginalized folks, as well as discuss video games through an intersectional lens. Folks can submit articles to be published on their website, uh, I Need Diverse Games also has a Game Developers Conference scholarship to send people to the GD, um, GDC um, conference in California, which I believe is coming up, right? Um, uh, and among many other philanthropic initiatives. A barrier minoritized and marginalized careers face is access to places and spaces in which to learn from veterans in industry. This means early career creators have little opportunities to learn from their more senior colleagues to learn about the industry practices and norms. I Need Diverse Games recognizes uh, such a barrier and thus lends funds and a platform to give marginalized early career opportunities in which to gain institutionalized knowledge. Black individuals also flourish in the competitive space of esports. These are just a few. I repeat, a few, because some people try to come for me. These are just the few I picked, okay? It's not the few that only exist. Okay, so uh, here are just a few folks that have exemplary like gaming skills. So Infinity is an Afro-Latina fighting game competitor who plays for Kenochi uh, CGL, which is a competitive video game team, and is also a cosplayer. Uh, Infinity was featured on Sony's PlayStation Women of the FGC initiative in July of 2021 and actively live streams playing fighting games via Twitch. Uh, Sonic Fox is a binary black fighting game player who plays for Evil Geniuses and has won multiple tournaments and is also a three-time EVO champion. EVO being the world's largest fighting game tournament. It's essentially the Super Bowl for fighting games. Um, you have Professor Highkick, 
who is a black woman, uh, who found it, and is also the community manager of Ladies Night FC. According to their group's Twitter page, Ladies Night FC is a community for women to come together to learn, study, and grow in gaming. And lastly, you have Scar, a black man who is a fighting game player sponsored by Endemic. Uh, Scar has placed top eight in several tournaments and in 2019 won first place in Mortal Kombat 11 at a fighting game tournament called Combo Breaker 2019. These competitors playing games with such a high caliber of skill is a form of joy. They are black competitors thriving in the competitive nature of the games themselves and possibly their lived reality. Okay. First encounters in a brave new world. So I express my own sense of black joy through attending and presenting at fan conventions, specifically anime and comic book and gaming conventions, and now South by Southwest. <laughs> um, and so as a researcher, this allows me to interact with game players and, and give talks on video games and, and communities. I gave a talk entitled Gamifying Blackness, a discussion on African-American portrayals in contemporary video games at MAGFest 2019. This talk discussed topics such as digital creation of black characters, the uses of stereotypical vernacular, and the experiences of black players in online spaces. What was unexpected was the sheer elation I received by simply speaking on those topics and simply being me. Upon concluding my talk, an attendee uh, told me how much they learned about themselves as a gamer and being black. Many have told me, don't stop and keep going. Myself and my friend, Dr. Alexander Morawski, discussed Gerald Jerry Lawson at MAGFest 2020. Lawson is a black engineer who's most famous for his invention of game cartridges and the Fairchild Channel F gaming console. A diverse crowd full of black and brown people were listening to our talk, which discussed several black individuals within the gaming industry. Okay, before I explain this part, does anyone know who this is? Like, at all? Cool, this is gonna be fun. Okay, so for example, Dave Gossett is the director of the Advertising Review Council, or ARC, for the Entertainment Software Rating Board. So the people who slap on the rated E, T, like that's them. Um, so according to a documentary about the ESRB, Gossett states that he's been a part of the ESRB for 20 years and focuses on content. And the content is usually in television spots, trailers, and general audience videos. So pretty much if you see like a Fortnite-like trailer or anything, ARC has something to do with the approval process of that. He said beyond this role, he is also known for his voice, which I think many of you may recognize. I will try my best to not butcher this. Rated M for mature. That's him. <laughs> Trust me, I was elated when I was just like, there's a black man behind that? That's crazy. Um, and funny story is um, the reason his voice was there is because at the time, the organization was broke and they couldn't afford an actual voice actor. <laughs> so they liked his voice and so they used his voice for the rated M and all that stuff. And once the, you know, once they got more money, they actually hired an actual person. The thing is, you can still hear his voice today because gaming companies came back to ARC and was like, hey, what happened to the other voice? <laughs> So right now, you probably hear as more of like rated M now, uh, but that's still Dave Goss's voice. There we go. 
Okay, so BlurCon, which is a two of black and nerd, is an event that highlights and celebrates blurred culture and creates a marketplace of ideas where sharing that culture can take place with proper context, uh, attribution, and positivity in an inclusive environment. BlurCon held its first convention in July of 2017 in Crystal City, Virginia. From the staff to the panelists to the vendors, black people were running the event. BlurCon set up a barbershop, a barbershop, right? Um, filled with local barbers waiting to cut people's like hair. Uh, a major component of BlurCon as well is the cosplay. Folks at BlurCon present their own creative twists on characters from anime, television, films such as the, as you can see, an all-black cast of Power Rangers or an anthropomorphized magic card. It sparkled too. It was it was really lovely. Uh, Again, the manifestation of black joy does not require a mainstream audience to authenticate its existence. The convention space is a non-digital world-building space allowing for the convergence of multiple cultural lenses to form a more inclusive world-building experience. For example, convention programming typically includes panels in which people can discuss almost anything they want. This can include a panel about black joy itself. Uh, such panels garner the attention of audience members who want to share their thoughts and experiences in an environment they feel safe and brave in. Cosplaying allows a person to step into a different persona altogether. Like avatars in games adorning different outfits, cosplaying enables an individual to step outside of their reality and into a temporary and yet still authentic version of themselves. Fundamental to any convention space are the forms of entertainment and exchanges of goods. The dealer's room or vendor hall are common names referring to the area to buy comic books, anime apparel, meet celebrities, uh, indie game developers, etc. The dealer's room allows for vendors an opportunity for brand awareness, engagement with new customers. Through a lens of black joy, black art, talent, and thought are given support to display their work. Start with joy. Black joy through gaming is more than just an act of resistance. Black joy should not have to be racialized within the context of gaming, uh, since gaming and joy should be for all people, in which black joy is a specialized form, not solely in contention with an oppressive force. Games research firmly supplants that people bring in sexist and racial ideologies into digital spaces that further marginalize and subjugate uh, those within the dominant culture. Gaming enables marginalized folks to resist, at least temporarily, the structures that oppress them. Gaming is a form of expression that does not belong to an individual, but to all regardless of race, religion, or gender. Folks of marginalized identities have always been and continue to be a part of the creation of games. Abysmally, there are still far too uh, little blacks as a part of the creation of games. In a world in which anti-black rhetoric and imagery appears across a vast media landscape, black people will continue to find their own sense of joy for the survival and preservation of black culture, and most importantly, for their individuality. Black Joy gives individuals, thus the works produced based off these folks' accomplishments, a much richer and fuller narrative. Too often, our narratives about black gamers focus on discrimination and structural violence. 
as shown through community efforts, black joy is aware of such discrimination and violence, and yes, some of these efforts exist because of the need to have a safe space for black gamers and other gamers of color. However, each of these communities are maintained through many individuals who all want their gaming communities to not just survive, but to thrive as well. So, let us reflect on the kinds of inquiries that we could have when investigating the black gamer experience. Have you ever asked your participants if gaming brings them joy? What does joy in gaming look like for them? How do they express joy while gaming? These questions have yet to come across as common parlance in academic works on the digital black experience. I believe they should. Otherwise, the black experience within and around digital spaces will continue to be written with half truth. And that's it, thank you. So, thank you for being here. Before I jump into Q&A, I just want to acknowledge all these lovely people who helped me get to this point. Um, special thanks to Dr. Rayshawn Ray, Kashana O'Gray, the Music and Gaming Education Symposium, uh, BlurCon, Iris Bull, uh, Wayne L. Black, Stephanie Jones, and of course to my buddy Oscar. Um, announcement, what I just read to you all is a book chapter. <laughs> so my talk is actually becoming a book chapter. It will be in this book called Anti-Racist Futures, Games Play in the Speculative Imagination. It's coming in some known future. That's above my pay grade. Uh, but yeah, feel free to look out for, for this. And something that I literally just found out about literally this morning uh, was I'm published. <laughs> this was just published online today. Um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy. This, is, this project was six years in the making. Um, and so from conception to, to publishes uh, to a, like a paper is very great. So you can look this up online right now, and it's free, which is what I love. Um, Gamifying Blackness, a discussion on black gamers and portrayals in contemporary video games. Uh, I have a podcast, which seems like everyone does, but yes, I have a podcast. Uh, it's between myself, my friend Eric, and Reza. It's called My Game Academia. We have about like 20 or so episodes, and we talk to a variety of people. You can see a conversation with Latoya Peterson. Latoya Peterson is the chief experience officer of Glow Up Games, and Glow Up Games is creating, uh, or I would say they're the game developers of Insecure the Glow Up which is based off the actual show, uh, which is significant for them because HBO has only given out their license to, like, for Game of Thrones, and that's it. So for them to have, like, Insecure as a game is, it's, like, astounding. Um, so feel free to check that out. So, yeah. Um, so I guess this is now for my favorite part, Q&A. So if you have questions, uh, is that mic live? Yeah, so if you have questions, feel free to go to the mic and we'll go from there. And of course, if you have questions related to this talk or just other things about gaming culture and intersections of blackness or any other work that I may or may not be doing, that's also up for grabs as well. How you doing? Oh, oh. <laughs> How's it going? Thanks so much for your presentation today. Um, my name is Nate Castro. I'm Latino. I'm a builder in the new Web3 gaming economy, gaming metaverse. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts and kind of like Web3 
the new metaverse, mm -hmm. this new world of digital economies and connections and virtual worlds. And, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, people like me, like you, like everyone else here can build and build in the right way and make sure it's accessible and inclusive to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so just your thoughts on that whole new world and the future of kind of gaming. Mm -hmm. Ooh, a future of gaming question. My favorite ones. Um, okay. I'm going to give you my honest answer. Is this being recorded? I hope not. Okay. So I'm going to just give you my honest answer. Because I've thought about this a lot. With like the metaverses of, of like and all that stuff. I think it's a... First of all, I think the metaverse is cool. In conception. I think the metaverse could literally fall into the same traps as what people thought the World Wide Web was going to do for folks. Which was like this bastion of liberation for folks to express their creative thoughts. Right? I say the metaverse could be another site for spontaneous joy, um, a way for new forms of entrepreneurship for black and brown folks, or it could be another dumpster fire waiting to happen. And I say this because, again, the metaverse is created and maintained by individuals, right? Individuals hold their own ideologies, ways of thinking, right? So if there's no centralized or firm understanding on how to moderate, how, I, don't, I don't like the word control, but how to moderate, maintain a sustainable environment for all people, like in a, like an intersectional, an inclusive lens from the get-go, the metaverse is going to burn up. Uh, it would be cool for some folks, don't get me wrong. I'm sure like I can still find myself like bowling with Elon Musk to the side one of these days. But it can also just implode on everyone because it could end up being just another way for people to um, express forms of hate speech for people of color, right? And some of that stuff is already happening now. Like, it, this is not hyperbole that I'm talking about. This is ongoing, right? Um, so, again, I, I, I think the future of gaming, especially with VR spaces, I think is beautiful and it needs to grow and it has growing pains, right? But I think it's too soon to write it off as like like this this next frontier this next foray i think it's a nice endeavor that i'm glad that we're going down to but i think i mean i don't know about y'all but like i'm tired of being in spaces where like i hop into a game and the first thing i see is the n-word right i don't want to go into a vr space like that right um so if there is a template, a, a format, uh, ways of thinking to ensure that people can feel safe to express their authentic selves, but in a way that doesn't overshadow someone else's form of expression, um, and I'm not talking about like, your form of expression is hate speech, that's something different, right? I'm talking about maintaining uh, an environment in which everyone feels inclusive, right? Everyone can enjoy the space. Because that's what it's supposed to be about to some extent through a particular lens, right? But if, if we don't think critically about those questions first, then we'll, what will be the point for black and brown people to be in the metaverse? To experience the same thing that they can experience in Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, right? A Zoom meeting, oh, I'm, I'm calling it out. You see what I'm saying? What will be the purpose? And that's how I view it. And that is me giving you a two-minute version of what I would like to say. So don't leave, because I have more to say. Fantastic. Next question. So you spoke about the media's preoccupation with <clears throat> stories of uh, black pain. 
as a narrative designer seeking to create stories and worlds adjacent to our own, do you have any advice on uh, emphasizing black joy without ignoring issues like racial, racial prejudice, or on the flip side, creating stories that uh, express pains like that without opening unnecessary wounds in the community? Good question. <laughs> I'm back in class. Um, good question. You say you're a narrative designer? Fantastic, even better. Okay, so I've thought about this in some ways a lot, right? Because there is the, I'm not gonna, okay. There is the acknowledgement that the things that black people go through, like pain, like certain, like, like just anything that is like detrimental to one's health, a black person can go through. Right, that can then be used as a narrative structure for a video game. I acknowledge that, and you know, and that's fair. My concern is so often I get introduced to a black character via their pain first, then the joy comes afterwards. That's my issue. For example, okay, I have two examples, maybe three. Let's just see where this goes. For example, Lee from um, Telltale's games, right? Uh, the Walking Dead, right? Lee's a whole ass professor, right? He's a professor, but you don't see his professor status in the beginning. You don't see him teaching a college course before the world implodes, before the zombie apocalypse takes place. You know where you start Lee off in the beginning of the game? He's in the back of a squad car. See what I'm saying? Big from Assassin's Creed Origin, which I wrote about. Uh, oh, which is now published, yes. Okay, so cite me. Um, but yeah, Baek in Assassin's Creed Origin, right? Baek is a father, right? First of all, we don't see black fatherhood expressed in games. And Baek is literally a father for like, and you have to read my article on this, don't quote me, but I think he's like a father for like 14 minutes in the game before infanticide happens, right? And he's the one who did it not on purpose, right? And so all of a sudden, I am trying to be one with this person, right? Like this black fatherhood angle, he's teaching his son Kimu how to like shoot a bow and arrow, how to like hunt and all that stuff. That's amazing, right? Just for that experience to be ripped away from me, that same could be paralleled for me if I don't have my father in my actual life, right? Again, I'm not saying these narrative structures are not important, but so often I'm tired of seeing blackness as like, okay, how can I get people to be motivated that this character is special? Okay, let them go through some shit first, and then we can build them up. It's just like, no, I'm not broken as is right now, so why do I have to be deconstructed to build up for your narrative, right? I'm sorry, but my black pain is, you can't sell that on like GameStop for $59.99. You see what I'm saying? You can't recycle that back into the Steam store, right? But so what I'm saying, for, for you and your team, I say push your own narrative about what you think narrative design should be, right? First and foremost. And then two, push your understanding of what an authentic black experience could be. Because more than likely, what you think it is, is not all encompassing. I'm just saying as it is, right? Um, but if you want help with that, just email me, you see. Of course. Next question. Thanks, uh, good presentation. My question is based on, uh, piggyback off of this, this in parallel. 
How often do you see an asset-based, normalized individual of color, African-American, black, male, as an as a archetype within the gaming industry? Like, where's that sense of power and wholeness come from? Where Can do you, you see that? Can you explain a little further? Yeah, so typically, even in my space, if I tell somebody I'm an entrepreneur, the first thing they say to me is, oh, it must be really hard. And I'm like, no, not really. You know, like, it's not that bad. And every time, especially if they're on the counter side, the narrative is always, it must be tough to get funding. I'm like, probably just like for everybody else. I'm not in nobody else's shoes. I can't tell you what the white guy's going through. Where is that counter narrative at? Well, I'm not coming from a digital, uh, from a deficit asset-based approach in this archetype. I run a digital justice um, uh, nonprofit and also run a tech company as well. So... I'm asking because usually when I show up, I don't deal with that directly, but then I always hear the narratives and I'm like, right. Okay. Um, good question. I love this crap. So many good questions. My head hurts. Um, you say archetype. For some reason, I'm thinking of archetype and then like to a person, like an individual. And this is not to put this individual on a pedestal, but this is just one example of matriculation. Right, and not necessarily from a deficit model uh, of his upbringing. Do you all recognize the name Reggie Fizeme by any chance? Okay, if you don't know who Reggie Fizeme is, he is the former uh, president of Nintendo of America. And Reggie Fizeme is of Haitian descent, so he's black. Well, a lot of people don't know that, but yeah, he's black. Um, and Reggie Fizeme grew up in the Bronx, New York, right? Both parents, all that stuff, right? But he still had to find his way into college and, you know, find ways in which to find his own sense of purpose, right? So he worked his way through, like, I think it's, like, through, uh, was it B&G? Uh, P&G. He worked his way through P&G, then worked at Panda Global for a while, like the, like the food chain restaurant. Um, and then after that, he found his way in, in Nintendo of, of, uh, of America. So I would say read his book um, because his book gives a lot of tidbits, especially for professionals in particularly, on how to navigate certain obstacles and choices. Um, and it's been interesting through that book to learn through his lens about what it's like to be really much a black individual working for a very Japanese company, right? Um, to even to the point where he would get comments like, I think you're coming on a little too strong, Reggie, right? And he's just like, what? And I'm like, well, you're telling like a guy from New York he's coming off too strong. So what does that even mean, right? <laughs> um, so I, I think that's uh, one way. I, I would also say that unfortunate, not, unfortunately, there we see pockets of like black entrepreneurs like in tech spaces flourishing right just it's it's more of ad hoc right where it's just like i know this individual because this individual is following this person this person so they're still in this moment of lots of seeking out other people right and that's just kind of the work that we kind of have to do at this moment is to seek other people out and build community and network from from there okay what I would love, would I enjoy a world in which I can just look outside and see like a face of like a black man or a black woman or however they identify and just like, oh, okay, cool. Like I can identify what they do, all that stuff. I wish I could. That's just not the reality that we live in. So what is the work that I have to do? I have to be the one to seek out and foster community within my own selves because that's how you build up. I mean, that's how America was 
found it in the first place, if you think of it that way. Um, so you build in the community and then you branch out from there, right? And you build networks from there. But we can continue to talk more afterwards if you have more questions. Yes. Oh, <laughs> now you can hear me. All right, what's good? Uh, Ace uh, found oh, it. Yeah, was good. Was good. Was good. <laughs> we'll talk more later. Yeah, um, yeah. But definitely wanted to ask this out loud, just because you know you're out here doing your thing. Um, so, founder CEO Five Mics, right? Digital hip hop trading card game. It's like Hearthstone or Yu-Gi-Oh, but with rappers instead of elves and magicians. Uh, what I really love about it is that hip hop is universal, right? So. You hear hip hop in Norway, Korea, India, et cetera. That being said, we all know that it started in the Bronx with black and brown people, mm -hmm. right? And so as I think about, you know, okay, we have some investors, especially in the music industry, they see the potential for what this game can be. I'm also mindful of, you know, perhaps being an agent of further cultural exploitation. Mm -hmm. So how do you recommend like intentionally balancing an opportunity to actually create massive representation across mm -hmm. various you know, identities and dynamics mm -hmm. while also being in the space and understanding kind of where this could go and where this ought not go? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, you use the word exploitation. That's a very specific term. Um, and I say that because exploitation comes, that definition is really like, like, exploitation is simply, like, you are taking a thing from someplace else, more likely not referring back to his original source material and using it for your own means, right, your own purposes. Um, in this context, um, pay people first and foremost, right? Um, like, the model of people working for free in this economy, that, that's not going to apply. Right, and you need to pay people what they're worth. I mean, that's the current movement as it is right now. So make sure you pay people equitably. Make sure if it's a company, make sure that the, they feel that they have some stake in the growth of the company as well. Because for example, the current thing about games now is um, a game can be explosively popular, just ballooned, right? But the, like, the people, the voice actors behind that, there's no percentage for them. Right? That's it. They got their cut, and then this game is now a billion dollars. I'm looking at Fortnite. Right? Game's now a billion dollars, and the only people who's raking it up is just the people who publish the games and the stakeholders, and that's it. Even though there is a fight to have people who are like the game developers themselves, who literally worked on the game, have a more fundamental stake in the company. Because it's growing, I helped build this thing. How come I can't get a part of? of this too, right? Uh, two, um, I think your conception is very interesting. There's a book by Brittany Morris. The name's escaping me, the name of the title. But look up Brittany Morris. It's like a slay. That's it. Yes. Brittany Morris is slay. It's literally what you said is what the book is about. Like almost, not word for word, but it's literally about use, like utilizing like black iconography as a part of a digital world environment because the whole basis of the book is about a 15-year-old whiz kid who creates her own like digital world in secret, mind you, uh, and people battle each other. It, like, it's crazy. It's insane. So you should look at into that book because you may get some 
more food for thought through there. Um, and I guess my last point would be about making sure that people are A, treated well and respected. That means their artistry is treated well. That means feedback. For example, you may not like someone's track, but there's a way to say that, okay, this needs more work versus, okay, this track is shit, let's move on, right? There's a way to broker that kind of conversation, right? They're just basic human, like human ways of understanding that just needs to be fundamental in tech. So often tech removes itself from its own humanity, which is comprised of humans, right? And then you wonder why that like an Apple Watch can't recognize my black skin. Um, you see what I'm saying? Right, I'm just calling it as it is. Uh, so I, I would say, um, I guess as a short rundown, pay people, um, make sure people feel that they have a, an opportunity to grow with the company as you grow, right? Third, treat people with respect and honest feedback. Um, and fourth, don't lose yourself in the opportunities of, 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 of the thing, right? Because things seem great and the money will start to flow in because I'm already there with you. Like, I'm already there, right? The money will start to flow in, but don't allow certain external factors, like, shape your intention, right? Because once that... Once that shaping is done, then it's just like, then what the hell have you been doing? Because clearly this is no longer about your community. This is about utilizing and exploiting from your own community to sell for other people. And who are those people? Well, look at your numbers. You see what I'm saying? Um, and yeah, that's what I have. If there's no, oh, you have a question? Yeah. Uh, my name is Isaiah. I, uh, I work uh, for a content company, Giphy, and uh, specifically within gaming. And I was just curious, like two of my recent favorite games have been Deathloop and Forspoken, both of which had not performed very well, like financially, uh, but they were pr pretty well regarded. Like, do you see that as being like maybe the shift in which we start seeing more black protagonists in gamings? Or do you think like we're like really still at the very, very beginning in which we're gonna start seeing more black people in games. Okay, this is insane that you're asking that question because yeah. I'm literally in the middle of writing an article literally about that. Oh, nice. Um, so, good job. Um, and I'm also slightly nervous that you got that. Um, but I really am. But anywho, no. So, Forspoken, yes, starring um, Frey Holland, right? Um, she is a, is a black woman. Now, I, in my, I'll just tell you all, uh, in this article, I look at the uh, Entertainment Software Association's uh, uh, statistics charts, right? Um, basically, they have like these charts that they publish every year, and it gives you like the top 20 games that sold. And I looked at their charts from the earliest I could find, which is 2004, to like the latest I could see a chart, which is 2019. There's never been a black woman protagonist in the top 20 games from 04 to 2019. You see what I'm saying? However, though, I have taken, I've taken note that in the past 10 or so years, there has been a shift where you see, A, more women in general as the protagonists in video games, and we're now getting to the point of more racial diversity, right, within games. 
Um, and when I saw Frey Holland, I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, because though the game did not perform well uh, or to the expectations of Square Enix, um, it's still significant because by the simple fact that it exists and by the simple fact that a AAA publish, like, like a AAA like studio published the thing, that's, that's significant too. This is not to trivialize other games that have black female-led protagonists. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the significance of a AAA studio that has resources, that can literally take a game off or on a shelf at whim if they wanted to, decided together they're going to develop a game starring a black woman. You see what I'm saying? And so... That's significant in and of itself. You, you talk about Deathloop. I enjoy Deathloop myself. Um, what I think about Deathloop is he's a black man, so I love it. What we now need to do is push blackness to be shown in various other forms beyond violence and throwing some fucking ball. Excuse me. Are you recording this? I'm just cursing my ass off. Oh, see, there I go again. Okay. Um, but you see what I'm saying? Like... So often, the, the most amount of black people I see in a game either are doing some violent action, shooting a gun, or down set hut is what they're about to say. You see, or dribbling a ball. I'm just calling what it is, and that's what the statistics prove, right? Um, so that's what I want to, to see. So those are my thoughts. But yeah, be on the lookout for this article. Um, and yeah. So I got three minutes left. Uh, but I'll still be around if you have further questions. But I thank you all for for being here. Yeah, thank you.